0: So I think we have the text for today. We haven't read it yet, right? All right. So uh, we need to read this together. So what? can I get some volunteers to read this for us? Um, Marcus, would you mind reading? Uh, Actually, can you read everything that's on there? And then uh, I need someone who's going to read the next slide. Leah? Is, we do that? Okay. Did I do that right? You're at that? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Uh, go ahead. Okay, so actually let's hold on. Let's stay on this slide for a moment. So hold on, Lee, okay? So um, this text comes, do you remember what last week's sermon was on? What comes right before this? What comes right before? The Beatitudes. So someone tell me a little bit about what the Beatitudes are. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So do you remember anything about the Beatitudes from last week? What are some of these? They're what? Good adventuring. Good adventuring. So you guys talked about that last week? Yeah, we talked about how the the Spanish, the the word that the Spanish version translation uses has similar meaning to good adventuring rather than... Like blessedness or happiness. Instead, it's like good adventuring to those who are... Poor in spirit. spirit. To those who are... Mourning. Mourning. To those who are... Peacemakers. To those who are... Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And happy adventuring to you who are... What else? How do they end? You who are persecuted or harassed. I like the CEB version of that, right? Like, who are harassed. Why? Because you're... What does it say? For righteousness' righteousness sake. Or for... How else could you translate that word righteousness? There's another word that we often use for that word righteousness. Righteousness. Justice, right? It's the same word, same root in, uh, in Greek. Okay, so this is the next thing that comes after this uh, strange proclamation that Jesus makes about the blessings that God offers to the unexpected, right? I think you talked about how counterintuitive all that is, right? Those who mourn are those who are to be blessed or happy or have a good Rich adventure are actually not the ones we necessarily think are the good adventurers, right? Um, so in this section, what do you find attractive about this text? Anything, as it's read, as Marcus read it, or and as you read along with Marcus, was there something that was attractive about that to you? I can't get this thing to go down. Oh, it's this mechanisms. Got it, okay. So, is there anything about this that you find attractive or kind of alluring? Adrian? Okay, so something that's clear, even if we don't know what he means, he is talking to... No, that was good. Why are you apologizing? No, that's exactly right. What you picked up on was two things that you raised, right? One is that Jesus is saying this to whoever comes, many of whom would be people who we would consider sort of downtrodden or peasants, subsistence peasants, along with a bunch of other people. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is actually given to a lot of people. Kind of a cross-section, potentially, right? Because it's a crowd of people who come. Disciples, those who have begun to follow him, but also kind of everybody who comes to listen to this. He's sitting there talking to everybody. Surely many of whom are peasants, all of whom, if they're Jewish, are experiencing what, in particular? Given where they are. Roman oppression, right? That's going to come up in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, So you raise that, like he's saying this to everybody and to people who are not well off, but he's also saying something about their, and Adrian's like, like whatever it is, despite what anybody else thinks, they've got something, right? What is it described as? Salt and light. So do you remember anything already in the Gospel of Matthew about light? Or do you remember anything about light? Anyone remember? There's, there is a text that comes before this where there is a fulfillment. Pardon me? I said baptism, where the light No, it's actually not in baptism, but that, you no. Know. The heaven's open, presumably there's light, if there's, okay, yeah, okay, well, I'll grant, I'll grant you uh, that I haven't thought about that one, but there is a, there is a reference to light, what? A star that the Magi different gospel, oh, no, that's not true, that's, that is, that is, no, you're true, that's true, Matthew, it's Magi, yeah, it's a star, it's a star, I don't think it's the same word, but good, good, we're, we're going back to the Christmas story, that's good. Uh, it's actually when Jesus first begins his ministry and he withdraws, there's a proclamation, a quote from the prophets, right? About now a light has dawned on people in darkness. And it coincides with now Jesus is sort of outed. John has been taken off the scene. And when Jesus begins his public ministry, Matthew tells us that this is in fulfillment of a promise that a light has dawned. What's the text that we spent all this time on that some of you were a bit weary of last year?
1: Isaiah. <laughs>
0: uh, and we'll come back to Isaiah, but this language is all over the, gosp- the gospel of Isaiah. That John Golding would love that I said that. Um, it is the gospel of Isaiah. But that language of light in this promise, if any of you are looking in a Bible, you can look at Isaiah 42. Um, so there's... Already in Matthew's gospel, who has been light? Jesus has been light. Jesus, the coming out of Jesus into his public ministry, where the only thing we know so far about his public ministry in Matthew is the sermon. But right before that, what do we know Jesus has been doing? Matthew gives us just a couple lines. Do you know what it is? What's he been busy doing? Take a guess. What does Jesus do all the time, everywhere he goes? Teaching? and healing, right? So he's, he's appeared, Matthew says, okay, finally he's out, the light has dawned, and he's been healing people, and bam, you get the blessings of the Beatitudes. So we don't know actually a lot about Jesus except that so far in Matthew's gospel, uh, along with some other wonderful things about Christmas, uh, the Christmas story. So there's something about not now Jesus has been like, but now what is Jesus saying about all these people, these kind of, you know, kind of schmo-like people, actually, who have come? We do know that he's called a really elite group to be disciples so far. Who's that? The fishermen, right? Who are this kind of ragtag, very, like, rough-necked, often foul-mouthed group, right, who are called to be disciples. So we know those guys have come. So you've had Jesus being light, but now he makes this proclamation about these really ordinary people who are oppressed, who are downtrodden. And he makes a proclamation now about them. What are they? You are light and salt. So he's been light and salt. The promise of God is that there's going to be light. I will not leave you. There will be light. And now he says, "Actually, how would a Texan translate this? Because in English, yeah. right, it's you are the salt of the earth. How would a Texan, y'all, or actually, I learned this new way of saying, making sure that everyone's included. What is it? Yeah. All y'all, right? So I noticed that we changed our um, this little light of mine, right? Very nice. Right? How does that? How does the song usually go? Right?" This little light of mine, right? I'm gonna let but we changed that, didn't we? Because the text doesn't say Aaron's light, like I am the light, I am the salt of the earth. Isn't that awesome of me? No, it says all y'all. All y'all are light. All y'all are salt. However unlikely that may be given your circumstances. So there's that. What's the salt thing? What, what do we, even if you don't know a lot about salt, what do you think, what do you know about salt even in this culture? Anything? Even now. It's in everything. It's in everything. Why? It's, preservative. it's both the preservative, very important, right? So you'd salt pork or salt, fish or salt things to preserve it. It's an essential nutrient. It is an essential nutrient, right? It has all kinds of uh, <laughs> And it adds flavor, right? A life without salt is really kind of a life without flavor. As the Japanese, what's the Japanese word for when you make something tasty? Do you know what it is? Umami, right? You make it umami, right? Without umami, food is not worth tasting. So Jesus tosses this out and says, You all, y'all, are something that adds flavor, that preserves, that makes life umami. That adventure language, you might say, right, is picked up here, except to say, all y'all are this. Uh, okay, so Leah, you ready? We're gonna do go the next one. Okay. Okay, so what about this section? Anything, how would you describe how this feels to you? Is there, anything, is there anything in this that is alluring or wooing for you? Is there any, you might say, hook that Jesus is throwing out for you? That was a really positive, that was a really positive, like, uh, I found a word that's roughly associated with something positive. Uh, Okay, so Jesus talks about himself uh, fulfilling. So what's the overall, so given the dead silence about something positive, so let's go to the negative first. Why the dead silence? What is it that you hear in this text? Someone tell me what it feels like to you or what you hear in it that made it hard for you to say, other than Adrian. right? No, you're great. You're like the person I want in class, right? We're the teachers. We're like, oh no, I got this. I got it. I got it. Uh, Naomi. OK, is there anybody who's not? At- no, I'm just kidding. Okay, great. So Naomi's talking about it kind of depends on how you, first, how you think about the law or the law and the prophets, right? Like, is that attractive? Is that good stuff? So do you read it and think, oh my gosh, finally, like the prophecies of Isaiah, finally that's going to come. That's going to happen. God didn't forget about it. God's actually going to fill that out and make it happen again, because he's already made it happen. I mean, Isaiah... Wasn't just for the past, right? But but it's gonna be filled out again. And that seems like really great news. Finally, awesome, wunderbar, right? But if I look at the law, perhaps like some of us look at the law, maybe as recovering evangelicals, some of you, right? What's the what's the sense that some people have about the law and the prophets? Naomi mentioned one, is that he's calling out the scribes and Pharisees. Have we seen the scribes and Pharisees yet in Matthew's gospel? Once, yeah, where? Uh, they came to John the Baptist to be baptized. Yeah, they come to John the Baptist, and John being the kind of Carnegie, you know, Mel, he's the guy who took the Carnegie, how to make friends and influence people, <laughs> right? Because his initial thing, he sees the scribes and the Sadducees, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees come, actually, these two different, very different camps, and what does he say to them? They're called vipers, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, this is, this is really not, uh, yeah, John would not have made it in most churches. Let's just put it that way, right? Uh, and perhaps that's why some things got lost on John. Um, yes, so they come to him, and they, they're, the only thing we know so far in Matthew's gospel is that when they come to John, John says, you are a bunch of vipers. Does anyone know what vipers, that may, it may be an illusion to um, In the ancient world, asps and certain kind of snakes were known for eating their own young, or at least that was the rumor. So one of the things that might be being said about these leaders is that you're not actually for your people. But we haven't actually seen anything about them yet. Like, we haven't even met one, and they're already getting dissed. But little aside, right? How would the people hearing this... We know that the Pharisees are the bad guys, right? The scribes are the bad guys. But to the audience hearing this, who would they think about the Pharisees and the scribes? They might think they're turds. (laughs) But they might think something else about them. They are righteous. They are just, right? The Pharisees are the ones who are so concerned about the law... And the scribes are the one that teach everybody the law. So to people hearing this, they wouldn't necessarily, the way we read it, they might actually read this instead of like, yeah, you got to come to them. Which Naomi's like, there may be some who are like, yeah, finally, those guys, they do not have it together. I'm glad Jesus is exposing them. But it's also possible that some people would hear this and say, what? Yeah, I mean, come on, give me a break. Impossible. These guys have dedicated their entire life. I'm just a schmo with kids, right? I'm just an average person trying to make it through the day. A Pharisee, like, spends their whole life making sure they keep the law, making sure they're pleasing God, making sure their life is just and upright. And I'm just kind of plunking away on my plot of land, trying to feed my family, and I got to exceed them? That's crazy. That might feel like good news or bad news, depending on how you read this, right? So, anything else about this that is meant to be perhaps attractive to us? There's there's something in this, right, that Jesus is tossing out. Rob, help me on. Thanks, teacher. Long time. <laughs> Okay, so this whole middle part, what does he say, what is he meant to, what does he want us to do or be? Even if we don't know what it means, what is he clearly saying about the law here and about us? That if I keep even the smallest, what does he say about us? We're in, but not just in, right? I mean, it's, what does he say? You'll be great. Uh, Just as an aside, this drives me crazy that sometimes we teach as if God does not really, isn't all that interested in us. Right? God's actually interested in God's own glory, but not so interested in us. Right? He's actually talked about his glory. In that passage, we'll talk about that in a second. But here he's actually saying, oh, no, I, I want you to be great. Like, that's the object. I think the kicker is how we are great. How are we those who are really rewarded? How are we those who are really in this kingdom Are those who are the, the good folk? And that's a kind of strange combination, isn't it? When he says whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments, Rob's noting that also goes kind of two ways, right? It could be kind of bad news because what is he saying about even the smallest thing? You got to kind of pay attention to those small, the small stuff. But Rob also noted that he said, but even if you do the small stuff, that really matters. So another way of looking at it is that small stuff that we may not think matters, but those other commands we think don't matter actually really do. So how do we hold this together, given that this is a pretty important chunk of Scripture, right? And the first one seems kind of, to me, positive. It's declarative, right? You all are salt, you all are light. And you're going to live in a certain way, right? What's the point of that saltiness or light in that first text? If we can go back to that slide. Can we go back one? What's the point, say, of the light? So that the object of the good works is What? To give glory, or how else would we say that? Give glory. I always have a little trouble with these words like glorifying God because they just kind of, I hear it and I go, wah, 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 wah. I don't know if you do. But I'm like, I don't even know what that means really. It feels churchy and it feels kind of abstract. So what is, what's another way we could say that? Give glory to God. Give credit. Recognition. A shout out. Yeah, it's like a shout out or a... a if we think of it like praise or think of it like, don't think of praising God, but think about like praising Josh Smith, okay? Like when Josh was, sorry, I'm going to embarrass Josh. Say jo- when Josh was held up, right, recently, not held up like this, but held up like, that. <laughs> at, uh, honored for his work in the community, right? Josh was glorified. We don't let that go to your head because the rest of the time we're less like... <laughs> We're your we, yeah, we do plenty of tearing down, right? But we keep we keep Josh humble. But in that moment, right, it was praising Josh for the things that Josh is and does. What kind of guy is Josh Smith? Well, here's how this guy is. So if we translate that here, we'd say, okay, so we're supposed to live in such a way that we shout out and we point out the things about God that are cool. And I was trying to think of how do we sort of understand this. If Jesus is the light, so our point is that we're actually not the light. We're like reflectors of the light. So our task is to live in a way, sorry, it's pink and, yeah, anyway, and dinked maybe, I don't know. But we're reflectors, right? Right? We catch the light and reflect God back to other people. That's how we're salty. That's how we offer something and shine in a world that is dark. Live in such a way, all y'all, that you reflect to other people who God is. Not perhaps the God that's imagined, but the God who actually is the God of Israel, the God who, remember, blesses the pure in heart, the meek, the mourning. That's the God that when people look at all y'all, that's what they see. Does that make sense? But then the second part, the second part, uh, can we go to the next one? So this one can kind of trip us up, I think. Are we already in? Oh, we are. So I wasn't watching the time again. So let me say this. Can you show... Well, okay. We'll let, we'll let the kids come in and I'll finish up. How do we reflect this? Here's my submission to you. As we go into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, how do you position yourself to catch the light? I propose to you that the way we position ourselves to catch the light is by obeying the commands of the Sermon on the Mount. How do you know how to catch the light so it reflects not a different God, not a God who honors greatness and big mouths and people who know they're right about justice and peace, but how do we posture ourselves so we actually reflect? that God of Israel, the God of the Beatitudes. And what I want to propose to you is it's an all-in proposition that our task together as the people of God is to learn to posture ourselves like dancers. Have any of you watched? So if we had time, I'll send it to you home, right? Any of you, Any of you dancers? Any of you dance? Is anyone a dancer? In your past? Okay, so if you're a really good dancer, can you only practice certain postures and forget others? So if you, let's say I was going to do ballet or jazz. Can I say, you know what, I just want to plie, but that's like it. I'm not going to do the other stuff? You can't. What would that look like, So what I would propose is the reason that Jesus ties these all together is he says the way y'all have to reflect is y'all need to be people who are going to listen to these commands and practice together postures that reflect back who God actually is. And that's why the little stuff matters. Because if I'm doing something that's a big dance for a whole bunch of people, I can't just have one move. I got the forgiveness move. But the lust move, I'm like not down for that. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to say it's all in. All these things are ways you posture yourself to catch the light and reflect it to other people. Ways you stay salty, all that's about to follow in the Sermon on the Mount. So as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, be willing to re-posture yourself. Learn new ways of heart and mind and soul so that we become people who reflect this particular God. And that's just worth it, isn't it? Just to be in a church that people do that. Okay, so as we head into communion one of the things I'd invite you to do is think about how is coming to the table, this beautiful table, right? This is awesome. I didn't get to see this last week. Wow. So this may be, this may be cheesy, but when I saw this today, I thought what a reflection of the beauty of God's creation, right? But reflected to me through Aaron and his family's good work. It's a simple thing, right? But they made it in such a way that the beauty of what God has already created comes to the fore. So as you come to the table, open yourself to how God is inviting you to become a reflection of that good God of the Beatitudes. You want to do? Oh, yeah. The the images of salt and light are not shoulds. They're not imperatives. They're proclamations. And so I invite us to to consider all that Aaron has shared and invite us to think about that. That when you come to this table, as you are, um, you are, we are, all y'all are, The salt of the earth. um, And the light of the world. Um, And the light is not easily hidden. It takes a whole bushel to cover it.